Amen, great God. And now as we come to your word, we open our hearts to you now, Lord. Thank you that you are a God who speaks, great God. Who you, thank you that you have drawn near. You're here with us this morning. And so we open our hearts, pray your blessing as we hear from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have our founding pastor, Pastor Peter, coming to bring the word to us. Pastor Peter and his wife, Maria, and incredible support to Andrea and I here, and a great blessing to me in the ministry and everything that takes place across the church here. So I'd love it if you could make Pete feel really, really welcome as he comes to share God's word. Uh, thanks, Nate. Thanks, church. Uh, lovely to be here this morning. Uh, 2020. Wow. Have we ever thought that lived to be in 2020? I, I never even thought that. I'm, I thought my father was old when he was 40, and now look what I am now. So it's amazing. How good is it to be in church, bud? Pretty good from the um, second row. Um, the Holy Spirit dwells much there, I know. do know that, uh, uh, brothers. But uh, how good is it to be at church, really? I, I, I don't know about you, but... Oh, there we are. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> It's, I don't know about you, but it's just part of life. And it, it just, you know, to come and listen to the Word of God, to come worship with God's people, um, come enjoy fellowship with others. Aren't we blessed? We are so blessed. We are incredibly blessed people to know these truths and be able to experience life like this and know that our great God's with us all the time. Well, we're going to look at his word. Uh, we're in this series, the Galatians series. We met, our group met on uh, Wednesday night. It was terrific to be reflecting on God's word and um, this series in Galatians. This is number two. If you're not in a group, as um, um, Pastor Nathan's already said, then um, it's not too late. Jump in a group. Come to ours if you want to. Um, um, catch me afterwards. Join up with us if you, know, if you want to join us for a little while. That'd be great. Last week, uh, Pastor Nathan spoke about the message of the gospel. I, I pulled off one of his slides, actually. Let me read it to you so we'll sort of orientate ourselves in this series. It says this, Galatians 1, 3 to 5, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a verse. And then we had the little grid that followed that. Who are we? Helpless and lost. What Jesus did, he gave himself for our sins. What the Father did, God accepted the work of Christ on our behalf and why God did it, not because of anything we had done, but according to his will and by his grace alone. And when you have experienced that personally for yourself, then it's amazing, is it not? Truly. It is amazing, the freedom, the blessing of being in Jesus Christ, our Lord, this morning. And no wonder people want to shout glory and praise to the King of Kings this morning. I pray that was your heart that you were here. We are a saved people. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know him yet, I pray you won't go a day longer without entering into the wonder of walking with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, he is amazing. He lives and dwells in us. It's the most amazing, wonderful life anyone can be gifted on planet Earth. But for all those, of course, that have begun this amazing journey in Jesus, well, you know that it's not always straightforward running, is it now? We have an opposition. We have a foe against us. There are many traps, uh, many pressures, temptations, confusions, a whole array of tactics from Satan in his attempt to, you know, drag us back into the dungeon. There's a great... was it? This week, or last, I can't remember which of the series, that great illustration about institutionalised living and the call to sort of go back to that. No, we're not going to go back to that. We're going to stay in the freedom 
that Jesus Christ has given. But that's where Satan wants to take us back into that place. Now, some of the tactics that he uses, of course, are so incredibly obvious. I mean, you know, justification for an angry tirade. I'm justified in letting loose. Well, that's Satan speaking, of course. The indulgences of our lives in the alcohol, maybe, or comfort eating or therapy shopping, Um, the lure of pornography, gambling, you know, the whole lot of list of those things. We sort of, we, we spot them and know them for what they are. They're coming from Satan to pull us down, lead us into sin. Not hard to pick the tentacles of darkness, sucking us back into the darkness. But there's another far more subtle um, tactic that, that, that Satan loves to use, one that actually plays into our reputation as wanting to be good moral people. It can appear, you know, holy. It can appear, you know, spiritually weighty. And that is actually what makes it act so hard to pick and, and so dangerous to have faith. And the Christians, we as Christians and and the Christian church through the millennia have been contending with this threat that also comes from the dark side to pull us back into things that place us in the dungeon. In fact, as we'll see in chapter 2 of Galatians, this deceptive strategy, it almost shipwrecked the early church. I know God was in sovereign in control of all things. I understand that. But this is how dangerous it was. It it was a great, great threat to the early church. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of the things that mark or reveal that that moralistic, law-centered, supposedly Christian worldview. Um, What what marks that sort of tactic coming from the dark side and and how we are to resist that? So let me read the opening um, few verses of... Galatians chapter 2 to you this morning. If you have your Bible on a device or you have a real, real copy, no, it's all real. It's all beautiful. Uh, whatever it may be, and it will come on the screen as well. Let me read it to you. It's terrific. This is God's word, church. We're so privileged to hear it this morning. And 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem. This is Paul speaking. This time with Barnabas and Titus, and, and, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. God's word to us. Sign one. Sign one. When you're dealing with false teachers is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be attacked. 
The infiltrators that Paul is um, speaking about here, commonly referred to as Judaizers, they were people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but to be saved by Jesus, you also needed to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew in that sense, obey the Jewish laws. Now, these infiltrators, of course, would have looked and sounded very spiritual indeed. They certainly won't promoting a sort of a sexual license, a do-anything sort of Christian faith. They were coming from the other end of the spectrum, of the false teaching spectrum, where they appear incredibly devout and incredibly moral. It's Jesus, they were saying. It's, yep, yeah, believe in Jesus. And also, you must practice the Jewish ritual um, laws. It's Jesus and Jewish law practices. But the Christian faith is not Jesus plus anything, is it? That's the truth. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Jesus said these words, John 14, 6. You know them so well. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to be saved. There is only one way. And the added on practices of undergoing circumcision or any other Jewish ritual or for that matter any other teaching that goes along in this sort of line, that is not the gospel. Even though it may sound very spiritual, very religious, very devout, very moralistic, it's not the gospel. False teachings about the gospel always seek to diminish Jesus. They pull down from Jesus. You'll know this about the, you know, the full breadth of false teachings. Or they will seek to add something extra that you need to do to be with Jesus. But he and he alone is the saviour of the world. Of course, picking, of course, picking false teachings, those which diminish the gospel, particularly when they're moralistic, is actually very, very difficult to do sometimes, especially in the early stages. You always see it at the end stages of these sort of movements. You always see it at the end, but at the beginning, it's often quite difficult because it seems so, you know, interwoven and so close to what we believe. You know the secret of a good lie. You know what it is. It, it's, it's to make it very close to the truth. You know, a, an obvious lie, people know, oh, that won't go there. But, but make it really close to the church, and then people begin to think, well, is, is that true? And we know how deceptive this particular teaching was because no lesser person... This is amazing, this. When, when I was reading this passage, I brought it all back to me again. No lesser Christians than the Apostle Peter and Barnabas, the great encourager. Now, these were spirit-filled men, remember, have been exercising ministry. And they were actually being influenced by these teachers. So if you think you've got your, all, your act together over a long period of time, you're a good, fine Christian. No, this won't be able to fool you in any way. Well, just be alerted this morning. So was Peter, apostle, leader of the church, fooled by some of these things. That's how deceptive this was. But, of course, there are other signs always to note when you're listening to the voices of those who are false teachers, however godly they may appear or sound. So it's never just taking one thing, you know, what is the truth that's being spoken of or that falseness is being spoken about. You see some other signs, and I wanted to sort of throw those into the mix. They come from the passage. Throw those into the mix so that you will 
I'm, I'm be able to discern what is false teaching and what is truth. False teachers, they always produce confusion and separation. It goes with their territory. The churches in the Roman province of Galatia had been founded by Paul on his first missionary journey and the churches were thriving as Gentiles took hold of the good news of salvation. The church was powering on mightily. But some supposedly Jewish Christians considered that Paul was teaching some easy believism. He was diluting the Christian message in order to make it easy for the Gentiles to become Christians. No circumcision, no ongoing commitment to the Jewish ritual and practices. And so they set out to discredit Paul as an apostle. You, false teachers, they always attack those who are actually proclaiming the truth. That's what happens. And their argument went along these sort of lines. Paul's preaching a gospel that's different to that that's being preached by the big three in, in Jerusalem, Peter, John and James. But the real deal is the Jewish gospel that's being preached by those apostles. Paul's got the easy believe in God's gospel for the Gentiles but the big three in Jerusalem, I've got the real core, real core stuff, the real deal. Well, you can imagine the confusion that that would have been bringing in these churches. Is Paul a real apostle? Um, is Paul inferior to the apostles in, in, in Jerusalem? Is, is, there a frac- you know, is there a fracture in the leadership of the early church? Whom should we believe? Do, do, we, do we need to get circumcised to be a true Christian or do we not need to get circumcised to be a true Christian? You know, the confusion that would have been around these sort of issues. Well, that's what false teaching always produces. It produces confusion. Note it. You, you'll find it in the movements. Nothing clear. It's, it's fuzzy. It's false it's confusing and the effect that we see in this passage of that confusion is that people actually began to separate themselves from others and that's another classic sign listen to this listen to this but when Peter came to Antioch this is verse 11 and 12 but when Peter came to Antioch I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong when he first arrived He ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Hear this, hear hear this statement. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result... Other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When Christians start excluding themselves from other Christians because of a particular teaching, then you be very, very wary indeed. Be very wary. Be wary of anything in your life that excludes you from fellowship with other Christians. In this church, in this multicultural church, in this church of young and old, be very careful of anything that's separating you from others. It's not coming from Jesus. But there's something else that you notice about moralistic, law-centered, false teachers. There's this spirit of intimidation. You would have heard it in the verses we just read. 
Fear permeates communities where these sort of teachers rule. People live their lives, they're gripped by this fear. Well, have I been moral enough to to be good for God this week? They're fearful about whether the leaders will exclude them from the true believer's circle. You know, this is the elite. Um, Criticism, it, it always fills the air in these sort of environments as people are inspected for so-called orthodoxy. And and threats and and sanctions and exclusions are used to enforce the understandings of these so-called superior Christian teachers. And the power and the influence of these Judaizers in the early church was, was, was clearly evident. The apostle Peter, it said, was afraid of this group. He was afraid of them, afraid of them. They were undoubtedly, you know, as many of these sort of people are that have, you know, this strong bent on the moralistic sort of stuff. They were, I'm sure they were hard-nosed, tough people, you know, power hitters, <laughs> those sort of um, guys that always marked that sort of group. This is what it says. Verse 12. He, Peter, was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity, this is for salvation, of circumcision. Now, Peter probably, you know, we don't know exactly what Peter thought in these circumstances, but he probably justified his decision to stop eating with Gentiles as trying to promote harmony in the church. Maybe not, you know, don't want to offend the Jewish brethren. But hear this this morning. Just hear this. When you make decisions based on fear, I've got to tell you, they are never wise decisions. They They never are. Not when fear's driving it. And Peter's decision to align with the Judaizers here, um, it was not the right decision. It was out of the wrong, wrong motivation. And it produced the other quality that you notice where, you know, the false teachers of moralistic Christianity prevail, and that's hypocrisy. People act falsely, even according to what they believe. They, they act falsely. Think about it for a moment. This is Peter's life. We don't forget the things that happen in our lives. Sometimes we wish we could forget some of those things, don't we now? I realise that. Yeah, we've got regrets. I know that. But the moments where God bursts in, you know, in incredible ways and does miraculous things, they, they stick in our mind. You know, some of the big moments of our lives. Well, Peter had had a pretty big moment in his life. You remember the story about him when he's up there and top of that house and then the sheet comes down with all the unclean animals in and he gets this incredible vision from heaven that he's not to call anything unclean that God calls clean and the outworking of that of course was that Peter had called to preach the gospel to a Gentile man Cornelius it was a very significant moment in the early church as the Christian faith expanded into the Gentile world which is what God wanted and intended in the first place. And Peter played a part in that. Now think about that. Would he have forgotten that meal that he shared with that Gentile man? And would he have forgotten that he had shared with him the gospel? Would he have forgotten that? I don't think so. But he played false here, didn't he? He broke off fellowship with the Gentile Christians, stopped sharing meals with them. 
And by doing that, he actually put the progress of the gospel itself in danger, aligning with those who were teaching in reality a false gospel, even though it sounded so close. Now, when you put that list together, it becomes so much easier to discern what comes from God and what comes from the darkness, however moral and spiritual it may appear. Got the summary? Here it is. Scripture will be misused to either diminish or add to the work of Jesus Christ, the saving work of Jesus. Confusion and division will surface in individuals and communities where false teaching gets a foothold. Intimidation and criticism and the resulting fear and bondage that that brings will permeate a community. And hypocrisy, and hypocrisy always has terrible consequences. People see it and they know that it's not right. It'll lead to a witness that damages rather than a witness that builds up and a witness that heals. Moralistic law-keeping, supposedly spiritually superior, false teachers and false movements, they have not ceased to plague the church, have they? Right throughout the millennia, these movements keep coming. The lies of Satan continue. And we all have a responsibility to be alert and to stay united in our opposition. That's, that's all our responsibility, church, this morning. It's part of the reason we're in Galatians. We're affirming the truth of the gospel for us as a community here to hold firmly and strongly to that. So how do we resist? Well, I've touched on it. Just by what I said just then. Paul's defense against these first century Judaizers, it, it sort of provides a terrific model for us about how to respond to those who want to rob us of our freedom in Jesus Christ. So there's two things I want to, there's only two things in this little list. The first is this one Paul mounts a very vigorous defense of the gospel that he had been preaching. There are times to defend our faith strongly. There are. In chapter 1, 12, Paul makes clear that the gospel that he is preaching is one that he had received as an apostle directly from Jesus Christ. He had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He'd been given a commission, came from Jesus. This is what he says. I received my message from no human source. This is Galatians 1, 12. We touched on it last week. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He is the real deal. He is the real apostle. He stands on equal footing with all the other apostles. The credentials are his. He's got them. And the verses we read, so, so tuck that one away. We'll put these together in a moment. In, in the verses that we read at the beginning of Galatians 2 earlier, Paul relates the occasion that he was led by God to meet the apostles in Jerusalem. Um, and he took with him Barnabas, and he took with him Titus. Now, now listen to the outcomes um, that he relates from that meeting as he shared with them um, what he had been preaching. So, right? so just three little verses, get them here. I think they're on the screen behind. Verse 3, and they supported me. This is when he was talking with the apostles in Jerusalem. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus, a Gentile man, be circumcised. Verse 6, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. Verse 7, instead, 
They saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Now, Paul would have made a ripper of a lawyer. I just got to tell you that. Did you know that? If you ever read the Bible and you read the man alive, some of his arguments, whew, they challenge everybody. I feel good because the apostle Peter said that he had a bit of trouble reading Paul sometimes as well. So if you're in that case, um, just relax. It's all okay. We're all, God's going to help us by his Holy Spirit to understand Paul as well. He would have made a great lawyer. Can you hear him demolishing these arguments from the Judaizers that he's not the real deal? that he's out of alignment with the Jewish apostles and circumcision is indeed part of the gospel. Wow, listen to him, have a go at them. The gospel that I am preaching, he says, it comes directly from Jesus Christ. I am the real deal. The Jerusalem apostles, they had nothing to add to the gospel I was preaching. In fact, they're in full support of what I'm doing. And they did not even demand that Titus get circumcised because... That's not needed for a man to be saved by Jesus Christ. And that's what the apostles in Jerusalem had done in those circumstances. There are no contradictions among the apostles about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be different audiences. This is so important to hear this because sometimes you have people talking about the Pauline gospel and the Johannian gospel and um, you know, all, all the various um, apostles as they some unique type of gospel. No, it's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. Different missions, different audiences, I understand that. But only one gospel taught by the apostles and preserved for us in the New Testament. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 in reference to his work alongside the other apostles. Listen to this. So it makes no difference, no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. They all preach on the same song sheet. It's the gospel. There's only one gospel. And we're to reject any teaching that implies that Jesus is just, you know, one of the ways. And you hear this all the time for a man or a woman to be saved. There isn't multiple ways. There's only one way for a man or woman to be saved. And his name is Jesus. And we've sung about him this morning. The Apostle Peter, Gospel, Truth, Acts 4 says this. this is, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name by which we must be saved. Paul and Peter, they come from the same song sheet. They do. We also reject any teaching that says that anything other than Jesus alone is needed for a man or a woman to be saved. Listen to Galatians 2.16. Let me read it to you. And Paul sort of says it three times in this one verse, just ramming it home again and again. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ not because we have obeyed the Lord. Second time. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the Lord. Third time. We resist the moralists by standing firm in the truth of the gospel. That salvation is a gift of God's grace that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not received that, I invite you to receive it this morning. I do. It's the most precious gift anyone can ever receive. Invite you. It's the gospel. It's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone.
But we also resist. There's a second part to resisting. So, you know, commitment to the truth of the word of God, the gospel. But we also resist by refusing to let any pressure or sanction or threat, any exclusion from any person or any group of people to influence our commitment and loyalty to Jesus Christ. We touched on this last week. Pastor Nathan mentioned this. Now, this is going to be a more significant issue for some than others just because of your personality and who you are, you know, how you operate. We know that Peter had a bit of a problem about what others thought about him. Don't We know that, don't we? He was probably a people pleaser. He was probably someone that liked to keep things calm and, you know, everybody, what's the word? Peacemaker or something. That's probably him. We know he had a bit of a problem because he felt the pressure on the night that Jesus was betrayed, didn't he? Wasn't that the opinions of others that took him into that space? And even here, as a spirit-filled leader of the early church, his, his desire to appease, maybe to be liked, to, a, to avoid conflict, led him into this disastrous compromise with false teachers. Hear this some this morning, because some of us are more prone. I'm a namesake of Peter. I know about these things. At yesterday's men's breakfast with Andrew Scipioni, the, as we heard this morning, uh, some very interesting things that he said there. And for him to stand strong in some situations too, it was quite interesting what he said in, in the early part of his career. Um, but one comment in particular that he made stood out to me. Let me give you the first part of it. He said that fear is contagious. That's what he said. I thought that was such an interesting word. Fear is contagious. And Peter and his fear of these Judaizers was spreading. It was influencing others. Barnabas also now ceasing, you know, fine man of God ceasing to meet with Gentile Christians. It's easy, I know, to justify going with the flow um, it's easy to justify, you know, you just want to keep the peace. Here there's some people this morning. In particular, I, I really felt this was for some people to hear this. Or as you weigh up the costs of, of taking a stand, uh, then they seem, you know, the benefits don't seem that good if you're going to go in that space. But hear this again, the soil of fear, that is the ground that Satan uses to keep people mine in the bondage of sin. I'll go tell you that. It's fear is what he uses to keep people bound, bound. Paul, however, as we saw last week, he had made a decision that he would not be ruled by the approval of others, would he now? But only that of God's. Maybe he had a slightly different personality. He was a strong guy. I know that. I know that. But he had made that decision. It's a decision every one of us should make. The approval of God above the approval of any, absolutely anyone else. Galatians 1.10 said, If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Did you hear that? It's powerful, isn't it? If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. If you put the approval of others ahead of Christ, you've got the wrong way around. 
And in this situation, it meant identifying the Judaizers as nothing less than perverters of the gospel. He used some incredibly strong language um, in this book and in some other places, I may add. For those who were pulling the gospel apart, um, denigrating Jesus' life and ministry. These false teachers, they wanted to lead the Galatian churches back into the bondage of the law and they needed to be resisted in every way. And Paul wanted God's approval and not the approval of any people. But Paul's decision to put Jesus above others also meant that he had to confront his fellow apostle, the the most prominent apostle of the early church, and tell him that he was wrong. Get that. It's not just the guys that were, you know, off beam, but the other big apostle, you're wrong. A rebuke which would also mean that his friend and fellow missionary, Barnabas, would be shown up for hypocritical behaviour as well. Think about weighing that up. But huge things you see were at stake here. It's the truth of the gospel and the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake here. It's so high the stakes. And Paul courageously stands up to Peter and he sets out what throwing in his lot with the Judaizers, you know, the moral law keepers would would mean. And he ends what we're going to read in just, just a moment. It ends with saying, well, Christ really didn't need to die. That's, that's the outcome of that particular path. And that's why Paul said what he said, and he said it to Peter in front of everybody. So I'm going to read it to you. Maybe you've never seen it in this context, but this is how it comes. I'm just going to read the, I'm not, not going to exegete this particular part of the passage. We'll look at some of these ideas in the next um, couple of sermons, I, I trust. But let me read it to you. This, this is the conversation that Peter had with Paul. Note how he did this. I think it's really important what he focused on and, and how carefully and well that he did this. Just, just, listen, just listen to it. Some of this might be a bit hard to understand. I thought of reading it in the message. It may be a little bit different, but I'm reading it in the NLT. Here it is. He said this to Peter. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? It's a good argument. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know, although all people are Gentiles, are are sinners, but that's the view. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in uh, in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Here it is again. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the Lord. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the Lord. There's that verse again that I shared. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements requirements, so that I might live for God. 
And here, this well-known verse is here, this well-known section. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is the Christian walk. This is the Christian faith. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. I love this, who loved me. He loves you. He loves me. You know that this morning. Who loved me and gave himself for me, the extent of his love. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. That's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. Now, this courageous defense of the gospel, it, it powerfully, in fact, influenced the church. It was, it was, the, it was such a critical moment. Peter recognized the danger that the Judaizers presented. He found the courage to resist their influence and he stood united with Paul and the other apostles in the full acceptance of Gentiles into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And we know that from Acts 15. They, it wasn't a divergence. It wasn't a fracturing. There aren't two gospel versions Jews and Greeks are all one in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, all one in Christ Jesus. The very foundations of who we are as a church. To this very day, I may add, to this very day, we resist false teachers by affirming the truth of the gospel and affirming our commitment to pleasing God above all else, above all others. That's how we do it. Those two things. Now, I know there are a number of people in this room who have experienced the deadening effects of false teaching. That, that You've actually been in these sort of environments, the, you know, the misuse of scriptures. You've experienced the division and the, and the hypocrisy and the use of intimidation. You've experienced some of these things on your journey of life. but you have courageously chosen the freedom of Jesus. Isn't that true? That's what you've done. That's why you're here this morning, actually. The freedom of Jesus. You say, I'm gonna, that's, what I, that's what I'm going to live for. That's what I'm going to live in, freedom of Christ. I love what um, Andrew Scipioni also said. He said, fear's courageous, but you know what else he said? You know what else is courageous? I've given it away. <laughs> you know what else is uh, contagious? Courage is contagious. Do you know that? Courage is. And I wanted to honour some this morning. Commend you for courageous commitments that you've taken for Jesus Christ. And some of that was very costly for you, for your family. And I want to say thank you. I do. I want to say thank you for your courage. It stirs faith in others when Christians stand for what's true. Stand for the gospel. And not the add-ons and not the diminishing. Stand against that. For some here this morning, you're hearing the truth of God's word. And, and you may well be sensing that God may be calling you to take a costly stand this morning. Now, you've got to be very wise here uh, when you're hearing these sort of, um, you know, these thoughts coming. You've got to check that they're from the Holy Spirit. But you're listening to the word of God and there might be a situation, a context. It might not be the Judaizers or 
some moralistic teacher, but there'll be something area, some area. And it may mean that you need to distance yourself from someone or, or some group that doesn't ring true. It's not ringing true. It may involve confronting a situation or a person who's been caught up in something that's wrong, that's damaging the faith and well-being of others. Well, this morning, if that's coming from God, be strong and courageous. I just, I just want to call you that this morning as we close. Be strong and courageous. And when it's centred in God's truth, just hear this part. This is very important because you just don't go charging off on the things. But if it's centred in God's truth... And God's leading as well. Right time, right situation. This was the right time for, for Paul to confront Peter. It was. God's leading and God's approval. Then your decision today, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Then your decision today, it will lead others, it will lead you and others into greater freedom. It will. However costly it may be, it will lead others into greater freedom. It will lead others into blessing. And your courage may well stir courage in other people. It was a terrific outcome to this one, wasn't it? The gospel. All the apostles on the same one page. No division. The great threat, overcome, resisted. And that's the blessing that flows when we are in obedience to Christ himself. I invite you to pray with me. Do that with me now. Yeah, Lord, thanks for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for those in our church family that have um, at times taken costly stands um, just to honour you and yeah, um, take themselves out of some context, Lord, for the sake of truth and for the sake of what's right, for the sake of the gospel, in fact. And we ask for your continued blessing, Lord, upon them and on the courage of their stand. Um, thank you for them, Lord. I know you honour them. You honour them here this morning, Lord. I thank you for all those in this church family, Lord, that have chosen um, the approval of you, our great God, over that of other people. And there are many contexts, in fact, where that can take place in. So, Lord, continue to stir faith within us, um, the Jesus life within us, Christ who lives in us. To live, Lord, for you, we would pray. With all the pressures, with all the temptations, with all the tactics of the darkness, Lord, to pull us down, to drag us back into the, into the prison of sin. Well, Lord, you've set us free and we want to live as free people and continue to live as free people and encourage others to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so thank you, Holy One, for your beautiful presence here. And thank you for your word. And just as I close, I, I, I just want to pray for any that, you know, you may be contemplating a situation where a stand may be required. It's not about saying, I oh, will do it this morning, but it's something that you want to place before God. And if that's any here this morning, I just want to pray particularly for you that you will know the wisdom of God, the courage of God. So. Just as heads about, if that's you, that you know, there's a particular situation that you've been thinking about this morning, and it might be costly for you, but 
just invite you to just raise your hand just for a moment, just to place that up. Is there any here this morning? Any others? Yeah. Yeah. Just hold them up for a moment. Just say, yeah. Okay. Lord, that it, there, there, there's a number here, Lord, that are facing situations. And I, I want to pray especially for them this morning, Lord, that they would know your voice and hear and follow you, Lord, I pray. That operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, that do it your way, that do it the right way, um, at the right time as well, Lord, I pray. And so lead them, Holy Spirit, as they've asked for your help this morning. And you will grant that. We ask for wisdom, then you give it to us, great God. And help us all, Lord, to be people of courage, we pray. Good courage. Courage that encourages others to be courageous for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Your approval above all else. We want to thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the gospel. We ce- we've been celebrating this morning and we celebrate again as we conclude this service in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do that. We're going to sing a song. It's just a song about Jesus because that's how I thought we should end that way this morning. This is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the only one who saves. If you don't know him, I invite you to come to the end of our service and we'd love to chat to you, um, talk to you about what it is to follow Jesus, the greatest gift anyone can receive. Come, church. Let's sing loud and long this morning. Well, we've been singing long already, but let's sing some more. Thanks, John. We can't keep quiet. Let's put our hands together as we give thanks and praise to the one who has set us free, who has declared... We are no longer slaves to fear, but we have been made free. Lord, we thank you for this truth, Lord Jesus, that we are free, free indeed, because of all you've done for us, great God. No longer slaves to fear, great God, or condemnation, great God, but because of you, Jesus, and all that you've done, oh Lord, it fills us, fills us to overflowing with joy and thankfulness, great God. And we don't want to keep this good news to ourselves, Lord. It truly is the best news in all the world. And so I pray, Lord, this very morning, by your Spirit, that you will allow this truth to to take hold deep within our hearts, great God, to overflow, in fact, out of us as we head into this this week, great God. We will live in the reality and the truth of this freedom that is found in you, Jesus. And so we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer in some way, our prayer team will be down the front. They'd love to pray for you. Don't forget our welcome lounge. And God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today.